we need to remember that John, one of the people who saw Jesus alive, is the person who wrote the scriptures. In fact, most of the people who wrote the New Testament for us were people who had seen Jesus alive. And of course, most of the Lord's, at least his initial apostles and disciples, were martyred for their faith. This is one of the reasons why the resurrection is such a crucial part of our Christian faith. Not only is it crucial because theologically we need Jesus to be alive so that we can be alive, but also because the resurrection of Jesus and those who saw him and those who wrote about it, in fact, those who wrote our New Testament scriptures, were willing to die for the reality that Jesus had rose from the dead. That's why it's so crucial. Resurrection, theologically, we can be alive because Jesus is alive, but in terms of the truth of our faith that we can rest our lives upon because people saw Jesus alive and they were willing to die in their belief that Jesus had rose from the dead. So John gives us these several episodes of the risen Christ appearing to various people. Now John in his gospel near the end says that if everything that Jesus ever did was written down, the whole world couldn't contain the books. Probably what we might call a euphemism, maybe a bit of an exaggeration to make a point. But actually the gospels tell us that Jesus made many appearances uh, over the, the course of those days between his, uh, his resurrection and his ascension, he was appearing multiple times to his disciples and he was, in a sense, he was taking them through Bible college. He was teaching them, giving them understanding of how, uh, how he relates to the Old Testament and, and giving them a foundation for this newfound Christian faith that they would spread throughout the world. So John shows these ones. John says, if we wrote down everything Jesus did, the books couldn't contain them. The world couldn't contain the books. But John was very selective about the stories that he told about Jesus. He was very selective about the stories he told of the resurrected Jesus. So I want us to take a few minutes and kind of skim over these stories again and think about why Jesus appeared to these specific people in these specific moments. And it was so crucial that John chose to write about them in his gospel. So I want to start in chapter 20, verse 11. Margaret read these verses for us. And here we find, in verse 11, we find Mary standing outside the tomb crying. Now likely this is the Mary who is the sister of Martha, who we read about in other gospels. Mary, who, her, along with her sister and brother, were so fond of Jesus, had had so many experiences with Jesus. And here she is standing outside the tomb. The other Gospels tell us that she wasn't the only woman who came to the tomb that morning. And why had they come? They had come to anoint the body of Jesus. They had brought spices and various things that would have cost a lot of money. But this was, I'm sure in their minds, their final act of love for Jesus. Think about what Mary had been through because she had just, as someone who really loved Jesus, she had just a few days earlier witnessed his arrest. She knew that he'd been put on trial. Perhaps she was aware that he had been severely flogged. And then she stood, even though the Lord's disciples, other than John, uh, made an appearance at the cross. None of the other disciples did, as far as we know, but Mary and other women stood by Jesus as he was on the cross. The love, the devotion that we see in these women 
is amazing. And it's, it's lovely the way the Bible highlights it, the way the biblical authors highlight it. And remember, at a time when it was a very patriarchal society, women didn't have the same standing or status that men had. And yet here, Mary's devotion, her love, is being acknowledged by John. So here she comes to anoint the body of Jesus, and of course the stone's been rolled away, and the body's gone. And so uh, adding insult to injury after all she's been through, she's witnessed uh, her, her friend who she loved die the most horrific death of crucifixion. He's dead, he's been buried, and now she comes to offer this final act of love and kindness to him, and now his body's been stolen. And so she grieves We see her there crying. She bends over and looks into the tomb and sees two angels in white. How many people get to see angels? Boy, I wish I could have seen one a time or two in my life. Come and give me a message. Come and tell me what I should do. Come and reassure my faith. Here God gives Mary this tremendous blessing of seeing these angels who reassure her. She turns from there and sees a man and as we've just heard, assuming him to be the gardener, didn't realize that it was Jesus. And Jesus asks her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Sir, she says, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turns toward him and cries in Aramaic, teacher, Mary, the first person who gets to see the resurrected Lord. Not Peter, not John, not one of the disciples, but this devoted friend as she is weeping. What I want you to realize here is that Jesus isn't just tactically figuring out how can I make my resurrected appearances for for the greatest impact. Do you see how personal this is? For someone that scriptures tell us, Jesus loved. Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus loved Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus. And so this personal moment, appearing to Mary out of kindness to her. What we need to understand from this is how personal Jesus is. That his resurrection is not merely for some theological proof, but it is out of his love for people like you and me, people like Mary. So here, in her grief, in her weeping, Mary gets to see and experience that Jesus is alive and he's kind. And it reminds me of what some of us are going through. We got to hear from Luke Fry today. And it's amazing to hear stories of how God comes through and does miracles. But that's not always the way the story goes, is it? Sometimes we grieve. Sometimes we have loss. Some of you are experiencing that in your own lives today. And what we learn from this moment, as the resurrected Christ comes to Mary, we learn this, that in your grief, Jesus is alive and he's kind. And yeah, sometimes by faith, we don't get to see the appearance the way Mary did. Jesus is gonna say that to Thomas in a few moments, we'll see him, hear him say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And yet by faith, we can experience the person of Jesus, resurrected and alive, coming alongside of us in our grief to encourage us and to show his kindness to us. In your grief, 
Jesus is alive and kind. Then we come to verse 19 in John chapter 20, and now we find the disciples, and again, first appearance, first risen appearance was not to the disciples, it was to the women. But now Jesus comes to the disciples. Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. This is the Lord's kindness to his disciples. This was a crucial step in him discipling them, training them for the future that they would bring uh, as they brought the Christian faith to the world. And so this was a crucial appearance where he makes his resurrection known. He is alive to his disciples. But I can't help but notice their circumstance. Their emotion was one not of grief, but here we find them afraid, and rightly so. Their rabbi had just been crucified, not only by the Jewish authorities who'd put him on trial and asked for him to be put to death, but also by the Roman authorities. So the rabbi has been put to death. What will that mean for the disciples? And they're, I'm not sure why they haven't just fled the city, but they're still there. They're in hiding. The door is locked. They are afraid for their lives. I'm sure this wasn't the only emotion. Imagine their grief at what had happened. They had given their lives to this, this cause of Christ. They had given up everything to follow him. They listened to his teaching. They followed his ways. And now he's gone. And they didn't yet understand why he had to die. There were all of these swirling emotions. And in that place, Jesus shows up. So how did he get in? It says the door was locked. How did he get in? Well, we know here, in fact, one of the other Gospels, Jesus shows up in the upper room. Door is locked. He just shows up and says, he got any food? Love that. Jesus now is in a resurrected body. It's, it's a picture of the kinds of bodies that we will have someday when we get our resurrected bodies. Bodies that are both physical and spiritual. That's why I love this so much. Jesus walks through the wall and says, could you give me something to eat? That sounds really good to have a body like that. That's the kind of body we're going to have. It says so in 1 Corinthians that our bodies are going to be like his body. So here's the resurrected Lord showing us briefly what, what this kind of body is like. But he comes to his disciples in their fear. And what is he doing? He's showing that he is strong. You know, when we experience fear and anxiety, one of the things that I've tried to learn to remind myself in those moments is that God is not stressed at all. He's not afraid. This thing that's keeping me awake at night, this thing that I'm worried about, God is not worried about. Jesus is not worried about. When he came and appeared to his disciples, he was not shaking, he was not afraid. He came to them in life and in strength. This is part of the journey for them. That because Jesus is alive, in spite of all that had happened to him, he was not afraid, he was not dead, and his disciples now can gain courage from his life. So are you here today with anxiety or with fear? Remember this, that Jesus is alive and strong. In your fear, 
Jesus is alive and strong. But Thomas, it says, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. It's a little further in the passage. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So we give Thomas the nickname, right? What's his nickname? Doubting Thomas. You know what? I don't know if I've got a greater hero in the Bible than Doubting Thomas. Do you know why? Because I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be filled with doubt. I know what it's like to wonder, is all of this really true? Is Christianity really true? Is this really the only way? I know what that is like, and many of you do as well. Now, why wasn't Thomas in the upper room in the first place? We don't know. Maybe he had a good reason not to be there. Maybe he was too afraid to be there. Maybe he was in hiding even somewhere else. But when he heard this story, this was his answer. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And don't you love that Jesus came back for Thomas? That in his doubt, in his confusion, his lack of faith, that the risen Christ who's the ruler of all the universe, took the time to come back just for Thomas. And I don't think Jesus is being cruel here, facetious, when he says, here, come on, put your fingers here, put your hand in my side. He's not being rude, he's not being sarcastic. He's coming to Thomas with the very thing that Thomas said he needed in order to believe. This is the kindness of Jesus. Do you see how important this story is? It's not just about the fact that Jesus is alive and we can be assured in our faith because Jesus has risen from the dead. It's that he loves people like Thomas and like you and me so much that he would come just to bolster the faith of Thomas. Don't you love it? His reaction, as Jesus says, stop Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas believed. He said, my Lord and my God. I once had someone who doesn't believe in the deity of Christ say that Thomas was so shocked that he just swore. No, that's not what this is. This is Thomas acknowledging the truth of who Jesus is, the risen Lord and Christ and God And he could rightly say, in faith, in truth, my Lord and my God. And these wonderful words, now now what Jesus does in these final words is he shifts his bolstering of the faith of Thomas to his bolstering of our faith because he says, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. Now, I'm sure this morning there are people here who can resonate with Thomas. Some of you who've come to faith in Christ and yet you struggle with assurance of your salvation or you struggle with confidence in your faith and how can we really be sure? And I've actually, I've never seen Jesus. How do we know that this is all true? Some of you struggling with doubt, you've never yet trusted Christ because you're wrestling with whether you even should. I mean, should I believe something that's not true? Jesus reminds us 
that he cares about those of us who doubt. And I believe that Jesus has his way, even though we don't get to see him yet. He has his way of coming alongside of us and bolstering our faith. The question is, are we looking for, are we watching for those times, those moments when Jesus shows up in our lives and reassures us in our doubt and provides evidence that he really cares? In your doubt, Jesus is alive and sure. We don't get to have all the answers in our lives. And why is that? You need to understand this. We might talk about this later this spring. God does not give us the answers to all of our questions. He does not do that. He will always choose not to do that. And I can say that I don't live in a place of doubt anymore, but I've got lots of unanswered questions. And the reason that we have to live with unanswered questions is God's making sure we understand that there's only one who's omniscient. There's only one who's all-knowing. There's only one who knows all the answers to. In fact, he knows all the We don't even know all the questions. But God knows all the questions. He knows all the answers to all the questions. He is God and you're not. And so he will always ensure that we have to trust in an omniscient God. The moment we begin to think that salvation for me will come through my intellect and I'm going to figure this all out for myself and I'm going to come up with all of the answers, no longer are you looking to a God who's beyond you, you're looking to a God who's within you. Your mind, your intellect. Scripture also says that without faith, Hebrews 11, without faith it's impossible to please God. The one response that God is looking for in every human being, in Thomas and in me and in you, is that we would trust him. Trust him. He says, trust me like a little child. Unless you become like a little child, you will never see the kingdom of God. And what is the little child? The little child is the one who looks up to mommy and daddy. Little child thinks mommy and daddy are omniscient. Boy, did we fool them. But that's the kind of faith we need to have as we look up to God with all of our unanswered questions. We put our hand in his hand and we say, I trust you. Jesus has no doubts. He has no worries, no concerns. Jesus is alive and sure. And if you're here today as Thomas, in your doubt, know this, in your doubt, Jesus is alive and sure. Then we come to this final episode I say this way too much, one of my favorite parts of the Bible. And it's the story of Peter who I assume in his discouragement, and what would Peter be discouraged about? Well, his rabbi had been put to death. Everything that they had hoped for seemed to have fallen apart and then in that final moment before Jesus died, Peter in answer to the Lord's prophetic statement, did exactly what Jesus said he would do. He denied the Lord three times, denied that he even knew him. And now Jesus has appeared alive. But there's this awkward problem between Jesus and Peter, or at least it was awkward for Peter. Because the very one that he denied, the one he said he promised, I will never, did, I will die with you, but his faith, his confidence had proven to be so false. And at some point, Peter and Jesus have to have a conversation about Peter's denials. 
And I actually wonder if that's the issue of discouragement that sends Peter out to, out to fish for a night. I'm going out to fish, it says. And some of the disciples say, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. You ever have a day like that or a week like that where everything is going wrong? And Peter the fisherman can't even catch a fish anymore. What a failure. What a failure I am. I am the worst disciple that Jesus could have ever chosen. I denied the Lord. And yet when he thinks about going back to his old life, doing what he used to do before he knew Jesus, going back to the fishing boat, he can't even do that anymore. I'm a failure. I can't imagine the shame that Peter felt every time he saw the risen Lord and perhaps his eyes fell as he wondered how Jesus could ever accept him again. But in this early morning, probably dusk, before they could see clearly, they hear a voice from shore. Maybe they see the figure. And the voice says, hey, throw your nets on the other side. And of course, deja vu. The disciples had already had this experience in Luke chapter 5, earlier in the Lord's ministry, long before this. They had seen the miracle, where after a night of fishing and catching nothing, Jesus comes and says, try throwing them on the other side. Try, try throwing your, nut, your nets out again. And of course, when they do it, they catch this massive haul of fish. And as soon as the fish fill the net, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is simply John's way of referring to himself, John was there, and he turns to Peter and he says, it's the Lord. Do you see what Peter does? I can't imagine a greater act of faith, confidence in the mercy of Jesus. He grabs his coat, which would have been a great impediment to him as he tries to swim to shore, but in wanting to be dignified to stand before Jesus, grabs the outer coat, launches out of the boat, this time not walking on water. He's swimming for it. He is desperate to see Jesus. Swims to shore. The other disciples bring all the, the boat and the fish and all of that. And as they come to shore, they find, sure enough, it's Jesus. And he's got a fire going. He's cooking. This is the kindness, the grace of our Lord. He's cooking breakfast for Peter the one who denied him. Rick didn't read all these verses, but if you know the story, you read on, and John and, and Peter, sorry, Peter and Jesus finally have the conversation that they needed to have. Where Peter, on three occasions, surely not coincidence, after three denials, he on three occasions gives Peter the opportunity to express his love. And this time now, Peter is far more humble, far less overconfident humbly expresses his love to the Lord and then hears Jesus say these, can you only imagine the words that, the way these hit Peter's ears when Jesus would say to him, feed my sheep feed my lambs and come, follow me it wasn't over for Peter, he still had a savior who loved him and who in spite of his failures, in spite of his shame, offered him again the opportunity to follow and would use Peter 
as a pillar in the early church, as one who had spread the gospel and spread Christianity throughout the known world. Are you here today with shame? Are you here today with failure? Feeling the weight of your sin, your unworthiness to come and be in the presence of God and his church and to celebrate the resurrection? Are you here today feeling like you're unworthy, like you're washed up, like you cannot be a follower of Jesus? He can't possibly put up with you any longer and you need to hear what Jesus says to Peter. And those wonderful words, come follow me. We have our discipleship path on the wall. And here's the cool thing. Wherever you are this morning, whether it's grief, whether it's doubt, whether it's fear, whether it's shame, the words of the living Christ to us this morning are, come follow me. Come follow me. Pick up wherever you are. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Come follow Jesus in your shame. Jesus is alive and forgiving. Let's follow him. We're going to sing final song, and then Wayne is going to come and close our service. Where are we this morning? We have heard testimony of many things this morning. We have seen and sang about a glorious day the light, the resurrection, the power of God on display, victory, sin is defeated, death is defeated. Our future is assured because of what Jesus has done. Oh, much to be thankful for this morning. And yet I find myself this morning also really relating to the darkness. I think many of us do to the tomb, to the cave, to that dark place. And we wonder, is that, is that stone ever going to be rolled away? Or am I going to be staying in this place? And maybe your place of darkness is, as Gary shared, maybe it's fear, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's shame or grief. For some of us, it's what the guys shared from the tank. They were in a tomb of sin that controlled them. And they needed a way out. Luke shared about the darkness of, of a medical procedure. Was he going to live or was he going to die? He needed the stone rolled away. He needed Jesus to come. And Jesus came. And that's where our hope rises. And fortunately, the scriptures give us an example of who we see. If you're in that dark tomb, no matter what it is, if it's sin, if you need forgiveness, no matter what it is, the scriptures tell us what Jesus looks like when he rolls away the stone. In Revelation chapter 1 and John, he was in a tomb. He was in a cave. He was put there by the authority so he couldn't do what he wanted to do, which was to exalt Jesus. He was lonely in that place. And here's what Jesus comes to him. And this is what he describes him as. 
He was like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Do you need to see Jesus like that this morning? Well, he's here. He is here, and as Gary shared with us, he's, he's inviting you to turn in your dark place and watch the stone get rolled back. Give it to him. Ask him to come. That's his promise. In the very last couple of verses of Revelation, the, the end of the Bible, chapter 22, this is what he says. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. If you're in that dark place, it doesn't matter which one it is. And maybe you're not right now. Maybe you're living in the glorious place. Fantastic. But one day, if you're in that too, if you're in that dark place, you need the stone rolled away. He's going to come. He's going to meet you exactly with what you need. And he's going to offer you water from the river of life. I need it often. I need water from the river of life, from the hand of Jesus. Do you? Will you accept it? Will you take that gift of water? Let it refresh your soul. Walk out of that tomb because Jesus did, victorious, and we can be too. And one day, even though my body will die, I will be raised. And it's on this message that I have faith because Jesus has never failed. He didn't fail all the testimonies we heard today, and he won't fail us. But that's the question. Will we believe him? Will we expect that tomb? By the way, John was in that cave for many years before Jesus came and took it away. Removed the stone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need to see you. We need to see you because you're alive. You are victorious. You are the one who has overcome and you hold the keys to hell. You hold the keys to death in your hand and there is nothing that can separate us from you. The stone, whatever it is, it's in the way. We're asking today. In faith, we pray that your light would shine in to our dark places. We're asking for you to lift us up with your mighty hand pull us out of that tomb and may we drink the refreshing water of life and may we drink from it often you are good you are right Lord if there's anything that's keeping us from accepting you may today be the day so that 
one day we'll all be resurrected. And on that glorious day, we will see you face to face. May none of us in this room, in the gym or online, may we never miss this chance to see you, your great and your good. We pray this in your name. And Lord, we pray for your help this week as we face our darkness to know that you're right there, knocking, seeking us, wanting us to turn to you, and you will give us the peace that surpasses understanding. Amen.